One. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we go. Oh, he's so handsome. What's his name? Welcome in, everybody, to a bonus edition of the Aaron Sports Podcast. It is Tuesday, April 14th, 2020, and for the second time in this quarantine, I am bringing you an extra episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. A few weeks ago, Sylvia Corkle from the Tiger King joined me. Today's guest, yeah, a little bit different. Davion Mintz, the newest Kentucky Wildcat, he committed late last week a transfer from Creighton. He will join me momentarily to talk about all sorts of things, the recruitment process, his career at Creighton, his time at Kentucky, what he's looking forward to, what the recruiting pitch was, and the bottom line was this. You know, I, just to give you a little backstory why this is a bonus edition, I connected with Davion over the weekend. Obviously, with Easter Sunday coming up on Sunday, it made it a little tough to record with him. So we recorded Monday, and I didn't want to wait until Thursday's episode to get this out because, to be perfectly honest, I got a great uh, guest set up for Thursday as well. So Davion Mintz, the newest Kentucky Wildcat, will join me. To those of you who are not Kentucky fans, I apologize, but this was just an opportunity that I had to take advantage of, and if you want to skip this one, sit this one out, no hard feelings, my feelings won't be hurt, we will get to uh, normal shows on Thursday, and I should mention, by the way, just because I am doing this bonus episode does not mean that we will not have the normal episode on Thursday. This one, like the Sylvia Corkle interview... Excuse me, I had a little tickle in my throat there. Don't worry, I'm still healthy. Uh, Like the Sylvia Corkle interview, this episode will be a little bit shorter. I will talk about one topic off the top, Emmanuel quickly declaring for the NBA draft. Um, And then we'll get to the interview. This is not going to be a long episode. As as, as most of you know, most episodes go 35, you know, really closer to 45 minutes to an hour, an hour and 10. This episode expected to go much shorter, probably about a 40-minute, 35-minute episode. I will talk very quickly about Emmanuel quickly, get straight to the Davion Mintz interview, and then everything will be back to normal on Monday's episode, or excuse me, on Thursday's episode, uh, one, potentially two guests, and a normal topics, all the stuff that I would normally talk about on the show. Should mention before we get to Emmanuel quickly, and then eventually Davion Mintz, uh, please make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I tell you every episode, the subscriptions have gone up during this quarantine, so I genuinely appreciate your guys' interest and support, but please make sure you're subscribed. I do it on iTunes. Do it on the Podcast Addict app. If you have an Android podcast, Addict is the way to go. Podbean, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can listen to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. I will give a quick shout-out again to my boy Char Dunn, who said that this is the best podcast going, the best sports podcast. Aaron is always entertaining, whether I agree with him or not. So thank you to Char Dunn. Everyone else, make sure to rate and review the show as well. Give us a quick five stars. And if you're not following Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com for questions. We will get into some mailbag stuff here in the foreseeable future. All right, so really quickly, I do want to hit on the Emmanuel Quickly stuff. Ironically, quickly, me quickly talking about quickly, how funny. Okay, it's not funny at all. Um, But listen, let's just get to 
the, the, the thesis of this conversation, which is very simply this. I have told you guys since day one, hour one, minute one, that Emmanuel quickly was going to declare for the NBA draft, that it was an inevitability. I saw some other reporters throughout this process, oh, he's leaning this way, he's leaning that way. Stop it, okay? First of all, AT has told you since point blank, day one, minute one, that this was an inevitability. I do understand that Emmanuel quickly sent out some tweets right after the season. I miss my brothers. I wish I was playing with them. But that was a reflection of everybody in that moment. When you have... When you've been spending a year building towards the opportunity to play for a championship and that opportunity is taken away from you right before you're about to play for that championship, of course you are just in a spot where mentally you're you're missing your team, you're missing your teammates, and of course you have to understand college basketball was different because unlike the NBA, unlike the NHL, who still may resume their season, the college basketball season just ended point blank, hour one, minute one, And it was very hard on people all across college basketball. Ironically, it's funny that I have Davion Mintz on this show. I will have Creighton head coach Greg McDermott in the next few weeks. I actually already recorded with him. It was before Davion made his announcement. But he and I talked about that. He talked about, you know, just ending your season uh, at the snap of a finger, the drop of a hat. It's hard. It's hard on the adults. It's hard on the kids. It's hard to just have things end. But Emmanuel quickly was going to declare for the draft all along. And I'll give you guys some behind-the-scenes information. First of all, the idea that he like is not on NBA radars is preposterous. It is the dumbest thing I've ever heard, and I'll tell you why. Emmanuel quickly was a McDonald's All-American. NBA scouts cannot evaluate high school players uh, pretty much at all. The one, the one place that they can evaluate them, however, is at all these All-American games, is at the McDonald's All-American game, is at the Nike Hoop Summit game, is at the Jordan Brand Classic game. And so because of that, Emmanuel quickly has been on these NBA scouts' radars at least since he was a senior in high school at those McDonald's All-American games, and frankly before. So even though he struggled at Kentucky last year, it wasn't as though they don't know who he is or they don't know what he's capable of. And then when he blew up, NBA people took notice. This was never a thing of he needed to play in the NCAA tournament to get noticed. Again, he was a former McDonald's All-American. They've known about him for three years. But when you play at Kentucky and you average 20 points a game in SEC play, you are going to get noticed. I had heard back as early as mid-January after those first couple games. I vividly remember the game at Georgia, Emmanuel quickly having a great game. I had heard back then that NBA teams were starting to make phone calls on who is this kid, um, what is he capable of, this and that. And then when he has the season like he did at Kentucky, of course you're going to go. You were the SEC Player of the Year. You just won SEC Player of the Year at the most prominent program in college basketball. You are not sneaking up on anybody. It was an inevitability on top of the fact, oh, by the way, that Emmanuel quickly checks all the boxes both on the court and off the court. I mentioned the, the, the fact that he averages 20 points a game in the SEC, but let's also not forget the guy shot 48% from three. He can play on the ball. He can play off the ball. Does that not sound like a modern NBA player? Does that not sound like a player who perfectly fits into the NBA? Because right now, three-point shooting has never been at a premium. Versatility and being positionless has never been more at a premium. And so Emmanuel quickly checks those boxes. He can play on the ball. Ironically, like our later guest, Davion Mintz, he can play off the ball. He is a guy who can hit three-pointers at an insane clip. And oh, by the way, let's also not forget that he checks all the boxes off the court as well. 
This is a guy that has never had any problem, that is very involved in church service and community service, and he does so many great things off the court as well that as NBA teams saw the production and then did the background, they were like, yeah, sign us up for this kid. A kid that shoots 48% in college, he's 20 years old, uh, 6'3", great wingspan, all the physical athletic tools, and he is checks all the boxes off the court. Yeah, that's a no-brainer. Sign us up for that kid in a minute. And so Emmanuel quickly has declared. Emmanuel quickly was always going to declare. And just really quickly, again, quickly, really two, two just very brief, how you like that, very brief thoughts on Emmanuel quickly going forward. And one I have talked about already on this show, but I do want to bring it back up. And that is that I believe that Emmanuel quickly will go down as one of the great stories of the Calipari era. Will he be one of the great players? Well, he'll be in a short conversation because he won SEC Player of the Year. I don't know that he's better than Anthony Davis. I don't know that he's better than John Wall, uh, DeMarcus Cousins, Jamal Murray had an incredible season, De'Aaron Fox had an incredible season. I'll leave it to somebody else to rank where he fits, but in terms of the story, I don't think it gets any better. And it goes back to what I told you maybe six weeks ago, whatever, when when quickly really blew up. I seem to remember it being after the Texas A&M game is that this was a kid that never forget, he was the first commitment of the 2018 recruiting class, and he committed as a point guard. He got to Kentucky expecting to be the starting point guard on this team, expecting to run the show, expecting to be the guy that set everybody else up, and by the time that he the recruiting class was done, they had already taken a commitment from Ashton Hagens, and it was clear that even when he got to Kentucky, even before he got to Kentucky, the role that he signed up for might not be the role that he played. And so he goes to Kentucky. He obviously struggles as a freshman. There was one or two games where he didn't even take a field goal attempt. Think about that. Just think about that. The SEC Player of the Year last year, this past season, didn't take field goal. He went whole games without taking a field goal attempt as a freshman. That is insane to think about. And so I only bring it up to because to think about where that kid was, as I told you last offseason, as I told you a few weeks ago, excuse me, last offseason, schools did reach out to people close to Emmanuel quickly and did try to convince that person, those people, to get him to transfer. Not because, uh, yes, they certainly broke NCAA rules, but that happens all the time. To be abundantly clear, that happens all the time. Yes, it's tampering, but it does not change the fact that, again, People do it in a smart way. They did not reach out to Emmanuel quickly directly, but they reached out to people close to him and said, hey, I'm just saying, if he doesn't like it at Kentucky, we'll always take him over here. And so this was a kid that struggled as a freshman, had a chance to leave after his freshman season, and instead came back and just worked his butt off to put himself in the position that he is in right now, in the position that he was in during the season. And I think I told this story on a podcast previously, but I have a buddy, uh, a friend of somebody close to the program, and he went down to Lexington before the season and was kind of hanging out around the team and this and that, and he told me afterward, and this was long before we had any idea Emmanuel quickly was going to be the player that he became. He said, you know, all the guys were great. He said, the only one that I really didn't get a chance to know or to talk to was Emmanuel quickly. He He was in the gym the whole weekend. I was down there for a whole weekend, and he was in the gym the whole time. He... They had practice. He would stay after practice. He would shower. He would go watch film. He would be there at 6 a.m. You know, he before everybody else woke up, he was back in the gym shooting. He was watching more film. He was doing this. He said, I never saw him. 
And so this was long before we had any idea that Emmanuel Quickly was going to turn in the player that he did. I heard that, and for it to have the effect that it did, for the hard work to pay off that it did, again, I think that it is one of the great stories ever. And I should mention, even during the season, and I did talk about this a little bit on Monday's episode, even during the season, Emmanuel Quickly was weirdly like the odd guy out for a big portion of the season. Uh, Ashton Hagens clearly was the guy running the ball, running the point, and I think he should have. I think he was the best fit for that particular position. But never forget that Khalil Whitney was on this team, and Khalil Whitney was a guy that Coach Calipari, and I'm not blaming Coach Calipari for this, kept pushing into the starting lineup, kept playing more minutes than he probably deserved to try to get him going. And it was because of that that Emmanuel Quickly was the guy that suffered, the guy that didn't start until midway through January, the end of January. And so give Emmanuel Quickly credit for overcoming one thing after the other, after the other, after the other, and turning himself into the SEC Player of the Year. As I said, one of the great stories of the Calipari era. And then to take it a step further, I know some Kentucky fans in the lead-up to this were saying, oh, you know, he shouldn't declare. He's not going to be a first-round pick. He shouldn't declare if he doesn't know where he's going to go. Let me just tell you this. Mark it down, April 14th, 2020. AT said, Emmanuel Quickly is going to be a first-round pick. Like, like, don't worry about the mock drafts. First of all, the mock drafts, as I told you before, there's one or two guys that really know what they're doing, and everybody else has no idea. And on top of that... The NBA teams are still playing catch-up because of the fact that there was no NCAA tournament, there was no March Madness, so they're playing catch-up to begin with. Um, And guess where the guys who do the mock drafts get their information from? The NBA guys. What I do think is going to happen is two things. One, people are going to catch up, they're going to do their homework, they're going to realize, oh my God, this guy was phenomenal. But also, the teams that have actually done their homework throughout the season, the well-prepared ones, the well-run teams, and I do always mention this. Just because there's 30 NBA teams does not mean that they're all well-run, does not mean that the front offices are organized, does not mean that the GMs are good. The well-run teams know about Emmanuel quickly. And so listen, am I telling you he's going to be a top 10 pick? He is not going to be a top 10 pick. Am I telling you he's going to be a top 20 pick? I would guess probably not. But I do think there is eventually going to be a process. I do think there is eventually going to be an opportunity for Emmanuel quickly to get in front of NBA personnel. And I believe he will go somewhere 20 to 30 because I, I just I think that he is a guy that has a skill set that NBA teams need. They need teams who can, they need guys who can hit three pointers at a 48% clip at the college level. They need guys that can play on the ball, off the ball, can handle the ball, can shoot, can shoot foul shots. I mean, these are all really important things. So Emmanuel quickly, mark it down, April 20th, 2020. This kid will be an NBA player. He will be a first round draft pick. Mark my word. Whew. All right. Well, that was my Emmanuel quickly stance for the day. Um, and I think it's a good time to transition because obviously a big part of why Kentucky took Davion Mintz was because of the reality over the last couple weeks that they finally realized, yes, in fact, they were going to lose Emmanuel quickly. So um, so I do want to get to the interview with Davion Mintz. Uh, I do want to remind you, by the way, if you haven't been subscribed or downloading, great interviews recently, Obi Top and the National Player of the Year. On Monday, I had Luca Garza from Iowa. I had Peyton Pritchard from Oregon. I know those don't sound like sexy interviews, but I promise they were really good. Jim Calhoun previously, and I will be back later this week with another good guest because, again, the quarantine is a great opportunity for me to expand this show, to push this show to its bounds that that have not been pushed to before, which I don't even think that was a sentence, neither here nor there. Um, 
But again, this is a cool opportunity for me and I'm trying to take full advantage of it. Uh, okay, I think that's it. So as a reminder, one, if you're not subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, please do it now. iTunes, Podcast Addict, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio. Rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram. Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. And also, remember, normal show back Thursday. This is a little bit of an abbreviated show, but I did want to get out the Davion Mintz interview. So here is the newest Kentucky Wildcat, Davion Mintz. All right, and joining me on the phone now, very excited to have this guest. He is the newest member of the Kentucky Wildcats, announced his transfer last Friday from Creighton. Uh, and he's in North Carolina right now hanging with family. Davion Mintz is on the phone. My man, what's going on? Man, not much. Like you said, just chilling with the family. Uh, very excited to be here talking with you right now. So how you doing? I'm doing well. You know, and it's kind of crazy because a few things, and we're going to get into your path and, and everything in a minute, but, you know, the last couple weeks for you specifically I feel like are extra insane. You know, I actually talked to – uh, your old coach, Greg McDermott, a few weeks back, even before you transferred, um, you know, your team, Creighton, was actually involved in literally the final game of the college basketball season against St. John's on that Thursday. Um, and, you know, season ends, you fly back, I, I assume, straight to North Carolina, and obviously you contemplate the transfer and you end up at Kentucky. I mean, just in the bigger picture, how crazy has the last two, three, four weeks been uh, really, when you thought you know you're going to enter March, uh, having a chance to win a national championship, now here you are, a member of the Kentucky Wildcats. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it was, it was crazy. We were we were in New York, um, you know, playing, and then at halftime, uh, well, I wasn't playing, obviously, but the team was playing, and uh, we're, we're we're watching. I'm watching, and you know, we go into halftime, and the, the officials say, "Hey, the game is canceled. Uh, everyone has to, you know, get out." Um, you know, we have to uh, go back to our respective places. So I flew uh, straight back to Omaha that, that next. So, uh, that, yeah, that next morning. Um, and then uh, stayed there just to get some clothes. And I, came, I flew right to North Carolina. So, I mean, like, it, it was a crazy thing to be a part of. Like, you know, the world is, is in a, a situation right now where, you know, everyone's just having to be safe. And so... Uh, I get home and uh, I'm talking with my family, praying about the situation, and I decide to, you know, it's best that I, you know, explore my opportunity. So uh, I had a call with Coach uh, Greg McDermott and figured things out. And, and from there, things just really, you know, got crazy. A lot of phone calls, a lot of, you know, talking and, and trying to figure things out. But fortunately, we, we, we found a, a opportunity here, and, and it's, it's just been slow ever since. We're like, Fantastic. Uh, I, I did want to actually ask, I was curious, growing up in North Carolina, I mean, I would assume it's big ACC country and, you know, Charlotte Hornets and all that stuff. How did you end up at Creighton, Omaha? For people who don't know, Creighton's in Omaha, in Nebraska. Uh, that's that's a little different, you know, growing up in North Carolina, probably watching a little Duke, uh, Carolina, NC State, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I get asked that all the time, but I think it was just like, the, the opportunity that was presented, I, I saw fit at that at that time uh, about four years ago. So um, you know, I had a very good relationship with my recruiting coach. Um, he was familiar with a lot of guys. He lived on the East Coast as well, so he just stayed persistent. I mean, he he was always in my phone talking in, checking up on me, um, 
and you know, I, I really liked the the culture and what they had there. Crazy. I mean, it was just a, a lot of fans, a lot of love. I mean, just just a, a city surrounded by basketball, and that's what really attracted me. Kind of saw a great opportunity there, and I took it. Very good. And and for people who, you know, there's a lot of Kentucky fans that listen to this show that are just getting familiar with you, your path, your journey, your story, all those kind of things. Um, take us through your time at Creighton, because I think one of the things that I think to a Kentucky fan makes you really appealing is that there were times where you ran the offense, where you kind of played on the ball. Um, you know, as a junior two seasons ago, uh, Marcus Zagorowski came in and you played kind of a combo of on the ball, off the ball. Just take us through kind of your journey at um, Creighton because again I think your versatility is something that appealed to a lot of people in this transfer process not just Kentucky not just the Kentucky fans but but would love to hear kind of about that experience at Creighton yeah um, Creighton was a uh, was a great experience I mean I came in um, as a freshman uh, at first I was the only freshman so I went through the whole summer by myself um, so I mean it, it was very fun it was, it, was, it was a challenge for me because like I was 17 years old, so I was mm. really young. I had to adapt quick. Uh, I was just turning 18, so um, uh, doing that alone was, was was fun, but it was like I said, very challenging. So uh, I, I was just a like a very prolific scorer out of high school. So I had to develop my game into a you know uh, all around type of guy, especially playing point guard at a high level for them. So uh, came into a very talented team. We ended up getting more freshmen, but came into a very talented team. Uh, preseason top uh, top 25, and then it developed to a, a top 10 thing. And uh, at the time, I wasn't I wasn't really active, wasn't playing much. Um, we had a, a lot of seniors, uh, well, uh, a senior point guard and uh, upperclassmen that were you know playing. So he ended up getting hurt, and I had to jump into the role quick. Um, I had to go from, I guess, playing like no minutes, like very scrap minutes to playing, uh, eventually ended up starting a lot of games. So, uh, but it was gradual. Uh, and then, you know, learning, developing my game, scanning experience in that sophomore year, you know, just kind of building off of that. Um, you know, just continue to develop. And then I feel like junior season was very strong for me. Um, you know, some games it was rocky, but I mean, uh, junior year just really, you know, embracing the opportunity to defend, um, hitting shots. I mean, just playing with a very talented team. Uh, like you said, uh, we had situations with teams where Coach felt it was best to um, uh, move Marcus Zigarassi into the starting lineup because we had an injury with the with the, one of our forwards. So we had to make an adjustment as a team. But I, I think it went well, you know, just getting experience playing off the ball more and just, you know, Playing and running with guys, like uh, like I said, being with talented guys, they can all make open shots and spread the floor out. So, I mean, it was a great opportunity. You know, one of the things about being in a place like Kentucky, right, it's it's so many young guys, and, and young guys, you know, they've been the best player at every level, and, you know, they've, I don't want to say they've never dealt with adversity, but what, what about this path of yours? Because that's the fascinating part to me. I mean, I think it speaks to just the experience of an older player in college basketball, maybe an older player in the NBA, of, you know, it isn't a linear path. It isn't just, hey, uh, you know, you're the starting point guard, here's the ball, go. Or, hey, you're a combo guard, you're playing off the ball, go. It's, hey, there's injuries, there's guys transfer, there's this, we need you to do this, we need you to change your role. I, I feel like 
that experience in and of itself is such a valuable tool, not just for this season, but as you pursue, excuse me, pursue professional options kind of after this season. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Uh, thank you for elaborating. But it, I think that, I think that, like you said, it's, with the game of basketball at every level that you continue to go higher, like it's always situational. Um, there will always be obstacles. Like I, I don't believe in, um, there being perfect situations. Like, you just have to make it perfect for you. So, I think being able to adjust and being able to, you know, have experience seeing things and, and going through things really helps uh, build character. So, I think that, you know, playing with different guys, seeing different guys and, and struggling really what, you know, elevates your game. So, for me, being in, you know, a situation where uh, having to watch Mm-hmm. having to uh, learn from other guys at a very young age and then go in there and, and do things myself really helped me a lot. And then, you know, playing with very talented players and creating guys that are, you know, in the NBA now and guys that are playing high-level overseas just really, you know, helped me. And then, you know, like you said, um, adversity. Uh, last year was, was very tough for me. It was the first time I've ever injured anything, you know, on my body. And I know it was just a hot frame, but, like, like I said, like never injured anything. So it was tough for me to sit out and watch guys and and be in a situation where, okay, I'm rehabbing while they're practicing. I'm just watching other guys run just put a a, a very uh, large chip on my shoulder. I mean, I was very down sometimes. Like, you just go through all of the emotions. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, but, but I look at it now as, as learning experience. Like that was – the, the best year of my life. Like I used to look at it like the worst year, but that was the best year of my life. Because I then I learned things. I, I saw things from a different perspective. So, um, you know, I think that uh, that that was like, uh, like you said, adversity situations. Like that's what really you know goes into experience. That's so interesting. So I had Obi Toppin on this show about a week ago, 10 days ago, National Player of the Year, and he is a, a true freshman to sit out for academics, and he said that it was the most important year of his career as well. Uh, this past season with the injury, one, just for fans who don't know, high ankle sprain, like you said, um, why was it? Why did it turn into the best year for you, like you just said a minute ago? Yeah, um, I think that I think that Injury and, and rehabilitation—that like that process—it is—it is a roller coaster. I mean, like some days you have good days, and then some days you wake up and like, what is going on? Why is it swollen again? Like, I think that the uncertainty of the situation, and then having to just like stay persistent and and just be resilient, like just keep working, like regardless what you're going through. I think that that's what is the is the hardest part. But then answering that, I think, and being able to push through it and get through it is the best part because you're seeing your body change and you're like, okay, well, if I did it yesterday, I can do it today. And I think it just builds you as a person. That's why it makes it the best part. And then, you know, um, just being able to watch guys and learn from a different way because like, I think that the game slowed down for me, being able to, to watch it. it. It's a lot different. Um, like people – People are quick to criticize you when you're playing, and it's like, okay, maybe I didn't see the things that mm-hmm. you saw while I'm playing. But when you're watching the game, now you can, can visualize and, and put things, you know, uh, see things a different way. So, uh, like I said, I mean, it, it's just the best time for you to kind of slow things down in, in, in your life, too. 
Very interesting. Very interesting, actually. Um, you, you mentioned a minute ago the decision to leave Creighton. Just walk us through um, why you decided to leave, uh, but more importantly, what you were looking for in another school and what was it about Kentucky that uh, appealed to you so much? But I left Creighton with, with good grace. Um, you know, it it was a tough situation. Uh, I think I was in a situation where, where they didn't want to see me leave, and, and it, it, it was hard for both sides. Um, I know I would have had a successful year there if I, if I let you stay, but, um, like, the people there are great. The fans there are great. Like, I'm, I still feel a part of the tradition. I love Omaha and the people, but I just felt like it was best for me to, to explore um, – new opportunities and, and take a leap of faith. And I, I, my goals and aspirations are very large and I, I needed to be somewhere where, uh, you know, the, the opportunity aligned with that. I needed to put myself in a position where, you know, I'm able to attain those goals. And I think that Kentucky um, just, just stuck out to me. And, and that's what, you know, transpired. This. What was their pitch to you when they, when you finally got on the phone with the coaching staff? Yeah. Um, that it was more so, it was more like a genuineness. It really wasn't like a, a huge like persuasion tactic. Like it was just genuine conversation. Um, you know what their job is to do. You know, like this is this is their like this is how Kentucky represents themselves. This is what we do. This is what we've accomplished. Like everything was statistical. Like this is this is this is how many guys we put in the NBA. This is you know, how many games we win, we're number one in the SEC, like, it's just things like that, and then they just say, hey, look, if you, if you really love basketball, if you want to join the culture, uh, you know, we think you're a great fit for our team, uh, if, if the choice is yours, how do you feel about it, like, everything here is, is earned, not given, so I think that it was more so a, a straightforward, serious conversation more than, uh like any type of persuasion pitch or anything like that. So that's what, you know, stuck out as well. Very cool. I heard you say in another interview um, that hearing from Coach Cal was kind of like a pinch me kind of moment. Yeah, it definitely was, yeah. What was it about hearing from Coach Cal for the first time that made you feel that way? Yeah, like when when people uh, go through things have like, you know, encounter other people. I think that like how you treat people is how you become a legend. Like he's he's a Hall of Fame type of coach, but with, after our conversation, I'm like, okay, this is a Hall of Fame type of person. Too. Wow. You know, uh, he, he like very very genuine, um, down to earth type of coach, and I, I'm just really looking forward to building a very strong relationship with him um, over my time there. And uh, you know, it just it just seems like it was. It was more inviting and it made like the family feel comfortable. Um, it wasn't like a you know a quick rash decision. It was, it was developed and it was uh, it just felt genuine. So um, mm-hmm. very humble and even Joe Justice. I mean both of those guys. So I'm also looking forward to meeting the rest of the Kentucky staff and family there. Fantastic. Uh, for people who haven't seen your game, how would you describe how you play and kind of how does Kentucky envision you helping the pieces that they have next season? Yeah. Um, for the people who haven't seen me play yet, um, I would say, you know, junior year in college, very hungry guy. But, I mean, I had a year off, so I feel like I'm hungrier than what you're seeing right now. Um, very tough-minded, can can play with 
multiple talent guys, and that can be on the ball, off the ball. You're just getting a true leader, somebody who has a, a huge passion for, for playing the game of basketball, in love with it, and just, just loves to have fun. I really love having fun. And, um, you know, can make open shots, spread the floor out, make their reads, and just really have a, a pest for defense and, and winning games. Like, and getting the winner and, and someone who's, you know, who loves to be in the position he's in. So I think that's that's what describes me well, playmaker and creative. Fantastic. One thing that stands out to me about next year, Kentucky, when you get there, very young team, six freshmen on the roster. I, I know it's kind of a weird question to ask without you having met any of the other guys, but will you be comfortable in a almost like leadership role given the fact that you're going to obviously be one of the more mature veteran guys on that roster? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'm ready to, you know, embrace the situation. Uh, and, and no discredit to those guys. Yeah. Like, I know they've been through a lot. They play very high-level basketball through, you know, what they've been exposed to. So, like, your normal high schooler wouldn't be able to, to play as high competition and still be the best um, in that in their situation. So, like, I praise those guys. But, um, like you said, like, the college level is just different. Um there's there there's there's people that's the same size as you, same you know athleticism. So I mean, just just talking with them through things like that, I think they were just fine. But just being that voice and, and showing them uh, things, I think that that'll be not only um, very beneficial to the program, but beneficial to my uh, you know learning of leadership still, you know, working and, and building my own character as well. So I think it'll work good not only for them but even myself. Fantastic. Uh, last question, I'll let you go. Um, how excited are you just to get there? I mean, this is obviously no disrespect to Creighton, Big East School, NCAA tournaments, all that stuff, but Kentucky is another level, another deal. Um, you know, you're going to, I believe, open the season against Kansas. You're going to be playing in London, hopefully, assuming there's international travel next year. It, it Again, Creighton is a massive stage in and of itself, but there's something a little bit different about a Kentucky, a couple of these other schools. How excited are you to just get going? I'm, I'm ecstatic. Like it's it's crazy. Uh, just the just the love that that BVN has shown on social media. Like I know it's real. Like it's it's real, and it's uh. I mean, I don't really think I can describe the way I'm feeling. Like it's, it's I'm just super excited that these are things that you watch on TV. Um, a lot of people you know, watch those games, but just to be a part of it now is going to be uh, super crazy, super special. So, I mean, hopefully that, you know, everything calms down by then and we're blessed to be able to be together again sometime soon. But, you know, still it doesn't stop the the way you feel about a situation like this or um, or anything like that. So I'm just, I'm just looking forward to it. Fantastic. I should ask you, by the way, how are you handling – this quarantine one, I certainly hope you, your family, all your loved ones are safe. How are you, what are you able to do right now, given everything to, to get ready for whenever you get to campus and basketball begins again? Yeah, I mean, my, my family hasn't seen me and I, and like I haven't been <laughs> home for four years. So I think it, the, the love hasn't worn off yet. I think it's had me for another bump and they're ready to kick me out. <laughs> sure. But, but I mean, just, just enjoy the family, like, eat a lot, have a lot of fun, you know, bond. Like, I have two younger siblings, one's 10, one's 6. Um, so, it's, 
and, and an older brother, but he went to college with me, so he's in the same boat I'm in. He's probably going to get kicked out soon. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, we just have fun. We enjoy each other's presence. Um, you know, we, we still try to keep our normal routine within the house, and uh, we, we get outside, we exercise, we have fun. Um, I still go through my training here at home, uh, and, you know, just just try to do things that you don't normally get to do, like, for instance, I taught myself how to solve a Ruby cube. Like, really? Just, just, yeah, like, I know it's simple, but it's always been like a goal in my life since like a kid. And it, it was just simple things, man. Just having fun, enjoying people's presence, trying to stay involved with, you know, everyday activities that you don't normally get to do when you, you know, are in the world. So. Very important question. How long did it take you to get the Rubik's Cube figured out? I'm a little embarrassed to say how long, but I'm going to just say it got solved. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I am embarrassed to say that I have tried to solve it and was unable to do it. So there is, there is no time frame as far as I'm concerned that is a bad time frame to solve a Rubik's Cube. Uh, Davion Mintz, the newest Kentucky Wildcat. Anything we missed? I mean, we've talked about your journey, your path, your decision to go to Kentucky. Anything we haven't hit on that you would want a fan to know? Yeah, I mean, just just I know that this will be a uh, a year for you guys. Um, hopefully, it won't be any short of that due to the current situations we're in. Um, praying for everybody in the world. BVN, I'm so excited to see you. Um, hoping everybody's staying safe during this time. Uh, you're getting a, a quality person. I don't know, person. I'm just I'm just blessed to be in the position I'm in. I'm happy that that hopefully soon we'll be a huge family. So. Just really looking forward to it. Thank you for having me today. No, and I genuinely appreciate it. By the way, you mentioned social media. Make sure to follow Davion on Twitter at dmintz, D-E-E-M-I-N-T-Z-1. Uh, Davion, genuinely appreciate it. It looks like at Davion on Instagram as well. So, Davion, dude, for I sure. yeah, man, I so much appreciate this. I, it's been a busy couple weeks. Uh, I appreciate the time. All right, thanks for having me.